All right, here we are. And I'm just really happy that you're all here. I am now going to make myself back on where I see Toland. And, and I have, I, I was telling Toland before we, uh, we, before we started, I have piles around me. I had to pull another table over here because I have so many things I want to say. I guess because I get, because I'm not here so much these days, but I was here last week and I'll be here today. And I'll be here again in July and again in August, and we'll figure out into the fall. But um, I, I, all during the week, I, last week I said, you know, I haven't nearly finished talking about what I, the, the topic, which was impermanence last week. And this morning I was thinking, well, what's the topic of this talk? Well, of course, I thought about it all week, but the topic is again about impermanence. But the thing is, that's always a topic. That is the topic. That is the, first, the last thing that the Buddha said when he um, is said to have passed out of this life. It's the next to the last thing, really. He said, transient are all conditioned things, means everything that happens ends. Everything that comes up, everything that's conditioned, anything that arises, this life, this uh, mayfly, this flower, this perennial flower, this mountain, anything that's a created thing passes. And most important in all of that, this life passes. And uh, then he said, be confident about the future. Look, the future, let the future arise in confidence. And I love that. And a long time ago, and probably many times, maybe so many of you have heard me say, that uh, there really only is one Dharma talk. Life is complex and challenging all the time from the beginning to the end, but it's manageable, it's doable, and it's possible to celebrate it because it's magnificent and awesome and interesting. And in spite of the fact that it is terminable, it's gonna end everybody and for everyone and that maybe is the important thing to think about. And maybe that's it, it's the one Dharma talk disguised in all these other names. So in the tradition of, well, just because we're here and it, I learned it from Heidi and I think it's a very good thing to start with at least a few minutes of arriving meditation. And uh, we've all arrived. Here we are all in front of our computers. It's amazing. How many people are way more literate now than a year ago? Computer literate, digital literate, can get that way. <laughs> How many people use the word Zoom on a daily basis? I'll Zoom you. <laughs> I've been playing with my friends for five. What is the past tense of Zoom, like in other language? Uh, and we try it in English and in German. Uh, and how do you say I am zoomed out? Ich bin ausgezoomt in German. That means <laughs> I am zoomed out. I want to meet people in the real. So we've been doing this for a long time and here we are. So I thought this morning we need to, uh, I'd like to invite you to Close your eyes for just a few minutes now, short meditation. And since your feet arrived 
at where you're sitting, first of all, bring your attention to your feet. And without looking at them, you know they're there. Without knowing, looking at them, I know that my ankles are not crossed. Yeah, they could be. There's no, no reason why they shouldn't be, except I know that mine are not, because I can feel that my feet are flat on the footstool that I keep under my feet because I'm a small person. So I can feel my feet on that footstool. I can feel pressure there. I actually can't feel exactly where my feet end and the bench under it begins. And I think that's good. And bring your attention up through your feet, your ankles and your calves. And your knees. I always have two sources of pleasure. As long as my body isn't hurting, which it is not today. I have the pleasure of feeling I'm alive. Because once I bring my attention to a part of my body, there's some feedback from there. Like an awareness of here we are, your knees. Maybe tingling, maybe some other sign of life. Maybe even they're very quiet. That's a good thing too. Thich Nhat Hanh said you could always say about yourself, no headache, no knee ache. So that you weren't particularly feeling a sense feeling, you could feel a mind feeling of the pleasure of knowing. It could have been painful, but it's not. Feel your thighs. Feel the pressure of that part of your body, your bottom and your thighs sitting on the bench or the chair or the sofa or wherever it is that you're sitting, if you're sitting. Bring the attention through your body, through up, through your hips, to your lower torso, your lower back, which you can feel because you feel pressure. Maybe more on your bottom than on your lower back because it's probably more pressing down. If your arms are alongside your body or in your lap, 
you feel them as well. And bring the attention up to your arms, to your upper arms, on the level with your chest. likely that you feel your chest reflecting the fact that breath is going in and out of your body in the strongest way when your attention is at that level of your body. Because the lungs expanding and contracting back down are the closest to that. You might be feeling the expansion through your upper arms moving a little bit or through your shoulders lifting a little bit. And let the attention come up through your face, your neck in your face. particularly feeling from the inside, your cheeks, the bridge of your nose, smile a little bit, which is always a reminder for the body to relax. Notice any kinds of sensations of um, just sensations, energy in different parts of the body. Even if it's quite quiet, sometimes a sense of the motor is idling in the car as you're waiting to move. Sometimes I feel that more than other times. Bring the attention to your forehead. And up to the top of your head and in the middle of your head. If you can hold your whole body interiorly, feeling the whole body echo rhythmically the sense of breath going in and out of it.
Sometimes I sit quietly and just feel. Sometimes if I, if it comes to me to say words, I say to myself, here I am. Here I am. And then when you're ready, open your eyes. If you're looking at all of us, which I am, it brings a certain amount of delight, here we all are. People always look a little bit more familiar to me. They always look a little more uniquely beautiful. I think because they look the same before and after, but my mind and my eyes see more clearly after I've settled myself down. I thought I'd start with a poem. Today, I brought a lot of poems. I, was thinking all week long as I thought about what I wanted to say. I often thought about, oh, I need to read this poem or that poem or the other poem. So I'll read you this poem. This is called, this is by Billy Collins. How many people know Billy Collins, read Billy Collins poetry? There's a, it's called Picnic Lightning. Picnic Lightning, it, uh, it begins with a citation from Lolita. The, the quote, my very photogenic mother died in a freak accident, Picnic Lightning, when I was three. That's a line out of the novel, Lolita. Getting struck by lightning is a very unusual thing. Is the poem. It is possible to be struck by a meteor or a single engine plane while reading in a chair at home. Safes do drop from rooftops and flatten the odd pedestrian, mostly within the panels of the comics. But still, we know it is possible, as well as the flash of summer lightning, the thermos toppling over spilling out onto the grass. And we know the message can be delivered from within the heart. No Valentine decides to quit after lunch. The power shut off like a switch. Or a tiny dark ship is unmoored into the flow of the body's rivers, the brain a monastery, defenseless on the shores. This is what I think about when I shovel compost into a wheelbarrow and when I fill the long flower boxes, then press into rows the limp roots of red impatience. The instant hand of death always ready to burst forth from the sleeve of his voluminous cloak. Then the soil is full of marvels, bits of leaf like flakes of a fresco red brown pine needles a beetle quick 
to burrow back under the loam. Then the wheelbarrow is a wilder blue. The clouds are brighter white. And all I hear is the rasp of the steel edge against the round stone. The small plants singing with lifted faces and the click of the sundial as one hour sweeps into the next. I love that. I I read it. It's on my it's on my shelf with all the other Billy Collinses on my shelf. How many people have heard it before? It's one of many books of poems. Do you know that that uh, that uh, the image the the image he said do a safe sprout from rooftops and flatten the odd pedestrian who knows what where that comes from or what that image is from you know, I'll tell you it doesn't matter it's not a test is that it? <laughs> it's not a test really uh, it was a it's a it's a cartoon that I had on my probably a famous cartoon because I had it on my bulletin board for a long time. It probably was out of the New Yorker magazine. And it has a man walking along a city urban street with skyscrapers. And he's walking along with a very proud look and confident. And he's holding uh, a piece of paper in front of him. And the, uh, the, the, uh, the paper says, or the, the uh, uh, what do you call it? The uh, cartoon, whatever. The words of the cartoon are um, blood pressure, 120 over 80, blood sugar, 85, da, 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 PSA, this, everything is wonderful. And he's got a big smile of delight. All his numbers are great. And you can see that from a rooftop of one of these buildings, a huge, enormous bank state, safe the ones you used to see in a movie that there's always a safe cracker is cracking that safe. A huge safe has been dislodged or thrown out of a window of an office or come down from the roof of that building and it's on its way down to fall on him. But there he is reading that all his numbers are great. You know, that I think that that's the same as this poem, that you don't know if your blood pressure is high or low. I think about that, I used to think about that sometimes when a plane crashes, and certainly a plane crash is never a good thing, never a good thing. But uh, I think to myself, what about the one person who was traveling home from the Mayo Clinic to tell his family or her family the tragic news that they are about to have a terrible decline of health and they've just gotten a for sure terrible diagnosis and their life ends in one minute. It's, it, so that for him or her, it's not a tragic end. They end suddenly. But you don't know. And the point is you never know. I wish I could remember who said this. There's some uh, thought leader, which is a new name for people who get quoted all the time. Uh, some thought leader who I... <laughs> so unenduring that I can't remember what his name is who said in a quotable quote, uh, I always understood that everyone dies. I just didn't think it was ever gonna happen to me. 
that, that that's it. We can't imagine it happening to us or not much. I didn't imagine it happening to me when I was young. I wanted to start, well, of course, I've already started, but I, as usual, things happen at the last minute. I was listening to a, um, a lecture yesterday. There's a, a therapist. It was for therapists who have clients that are taking um, uh, SSRIs, the kind of uh, uh, drugs that uh, uh, have been so helpful in recent years in keeping people's serotonin levels manageable and in really making the lives of people with depression so much better. And this particular uh, a pharmacologist was talking about the need uh, when changing drugs or adding a drug to do all the changing or the adding extremely slowly. He can't say to a person, okay, this drug isn't working, so stop and we'll start the other one tomorrow. You have to wean off one and then go on the other. That was not the notable quote that this person said. What they said is there are certain things that are absolutely true about the nervous system. And one of the main things that's true about it is it doesn't like change. It doesn't like change. The main thing about our reaction is that we don't like change. And I'm thinking to myself, that's very interesting. I'm thinking that while this lecture was going on, I was thinking that's very interesting because the whole thing that the Buddha said is that this is what you have to know. Everything is always changing. We are all the time reacting to change. There is nothing that you can depend on. I mean, even all these good, it's good if you get all these good tests. And it's great if you're sitting in your house and probably an airplane is not going to land on you in your living room, but it might. You know, things can happen. The thing that the, the that that particular understanding, things happen, and we don't know when. And coupled with life is precious. I remember one of my early Dharma talks that not that I gave, but that I heard. Uh, somebody was quoting Woody Allen uh, in uh, maybe Annie Hall, a very early movie. And the voiceover was uh, telling jokes in the very beginning. And uh, the one of the, so to speak, jokes is they said there are two women sitting on rocking chairs outside of a, a summer hotel in the Catskill Mountains. So this is a joke from 100 years ago, right? Summer hotel in the Catskill Mountains. And one of the, and they're complaining to each other. And one of them is saying, the food in this hotel is really terrible. And the other one's saying, you're right. And such small portions. So I, I <laughs> so here we have the Buddha saying, life is challenging from the get-go. And we so much don't want to die. You know, one of the, one of the things to think about maybe, is that um, not even a hypothetical thing. Uh, one of my sons has a father-in-law, man who I admire and love very much. 
he, I've known him for 40 years, ever since my son married his daughter. Uh, his wife died a few years ago. And uh, he was bereft. And she was a wonderful woman, but he was really bereft. And, uh, but even before that, even when his wife was alive, when we visited with them, his favorite discussion was that death is not a bad thing. I'm waiting for death because life has so much problems in it. And I was think, boy, uh, Roberto would have made a very good Buddhist because uh, he's starting right out with the life is full of challenges and disappointments and losses. And I don't know that Roberto still, he's alive, knows very much about that. But then on top of his really, I think he had a very difficult childhood in Nicaragua. He grew up very poor. He had all kinds of difficulties. He came to this country. He learned a skill. He had work to do his whole life. He married. He had three children. One of his children married my son. It's worked out wonderfully. Uh, but his 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 way has always been to say, you know, the whole life is just so, it's, you know, so much struggling. And recently, he got a diagnosis of something really, it's not a good thing to have. And he called his daughter and my son to tell them the news. He said, everybody on the phone there? He said, yeah, we're all on the phone, Dad, what's happening? He said, I have good news. I have this disease. <laughs> so maybe this is a macabre thing to say, but it's true as anything. Now, the, the difficulty of this is that this disease now has a treatment. So, fooey, they gave him the treatment, and he's still here and uh, one, and and still um, active and rebuilding car engines and re-roofing his house, and he's 89 years old. But, but his thing is, wow, it'll be a relief. At the end of today, or sometime in today, uh, by the way, my grandfather used to say the same thing. There are people who say that. Uh, there's a poem that I want us to read together about that. Most people are not delighted to hear that their life is coming to an end. I don't know how he would be if it really were. I think actually he'd be okay. Uh, and his life wasn't terrible. His life was, in fact, in many ways, very... It was probably as uh, rewarding as a life can be. But I really did think about that teaching of everything that's happening is the only thing that's ever happening is change. The only thing that's ever happening is change is what the Buddha said. And here is this um, pharmacologist yesterday saying, what the body doesn't like is change. What it likes is he can count on it. Do you remember those of you who live in uh, the middle of California, near San Francisco, as I do, there were sometime in the fires of a year or a year and a half ago, whenever the last terrible big fires were, uh, we got up in the morning, not only did the air smell bad, but the, the, the sky was yellow. It was yellow because of all the smoke and the smoke particularly filtered the light in a way that when you looked up to the sky, the sky was frankly yellow. And it was very unnerving. Like the sky is not supposed to be yellow. 
we really don't like change. We are disoriented. Our friend, my my good friend Brahmini Liebman, who when when she is in California and uh, we are traveling, would often come to Spirit Rock on Wednesday mornings. Uh, Brahmini is a very accomplished uh, yoga teacher, and she happens to be visiting in New York State in New York City right now. And I just noticed online that uh, a flyer that she put out that this weekend she is offering in somebody's big backyard a day of yoga practice and body movement and pranayama breathing practice and journaling practice. She said, because this is a transition time. We are all having a transition. And just to help us with the transition, yoga and meditation and chanting together, writing down as a way of meeting that transition. It's a challenge to transition, even though we are now transitioning out of being frightened to go out to presumably not being frightened to go out. How many people find that in the last day in California, since you took off the masks, you feel a little funny in the supermarket or you feel a little funny in the street? Peculiar, not ah, funny. I am wearing my mask in the supermarket. Just for the gun. I don't know, maybe I'll wear it one more week. My supermarket is lovely. The aisles are wide apart. It's not crowded with people. I noticed yesterday everybody else is masked and they don't have to be. It's just everybody's taking their time and not because we're, we're used to, uh-oh, and we can't unused to ourselves quite that fast. And there are uh-ohs that are happening all the time. But, you know, if, if the COVID has passed for now, I hope we've passed 600,000 Americans have died from it. And there's so much to say about it could happen again. It's been 100 years since there was a similar thing that happened to the earth. At the same time, the COVID may not be the, may not continue and it may be ending for now, but climate change is not finished. Climate change is going on. So we continue as a people to have to live with continual change and in some of the change in a direction that, uh-oh, we need to notice this and not be so frightened of it that we can't notice it and do something appropriate to meet it. That the whole point of practice is to be able to, with open eyes, say, this is how that's happening. And what should I do? You know what, I remember that a whole last year, or certainly before the pandemic, and when we were together in Spirit Rock, uh, I think for maybe the better part of a year, my favorite story, not favorite in the sense of it, well, my key story, my keynote story, my story that I but thought about more than anything, 
was a story about the monk who gets chased by a tiger. Put up your hands if you know that story. Okay. If you don't know that story. No, no, we just, oh, people don't know the story. Okay. Very fast tell of the story. A monk is walking along in some place where there's a jungle on the outskirts of a, of a jungle and meditating deep in contemplative peace and suddenly realizes there's a tiger comes out from the jungle and starts following him and he starts to pick up the pace and the tiger picks up the pace and then he picks up the pace and the tiger and they're both running, 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 running. And, they, and he comes to the edge of a cliff and he looks down and it's a big cavernous cliff with rocks at the bottom and water rushing. And here comes the tiger behind him and having no other recourse, he jumps off the cliff and catches onto a vine that's hanging there. It's a thick vine, so he's really hanging. And the looks up and the tiger is looking over down at him and he looks down and the water is down there looking looking like crashing water and he's on the vine and at that point a mouse comes out of a crevice in the vine in the in the rock and starts gnawing away at the vine and at that moment he notices that there's a little sprig coming out of a plant out of another crack in the rock and it's um, a plant and it's a strawberry plant and it's got a strawberry that's on it and the strawberry is ripe and he picks the strawberry and he eats it and he says this strawberry is very good so people have been contemplating that parable for years when i was in korea just probably at least 15 and maybe 20 maybe more years ago goodness uh, one of the uh, great, uh, we were invited because my husband was part of a, uh, of a presentation in the psychiatric conference. And after the conference was over in Seoul, uh, a few people who had invited him drove, had arranged for us to drive down, uh, down the length of Korea to the bottom from whence we had a plane to Japan. And all along this, wonderful freeway all the way down the country there were uh stops where there were temples up at the top we we they parked the car and we'd walk up to these temples up at the top and i was so touched by the temple decorations which were primarily uh big um, paintings on the very wall that looked like they were tempera paints and they were not little framed oil painting or anything, but on the wall paintings and uh, often depicting different Zen stories that you've heard, different parable stories, like the one I just told you about the monk on the vine. And I think that the monk on the vine was the one that we saw more than any other. The monk on the vine must be a really important story. I like it very much. And we used to talk about it at Spirit Rock when we were back there often. And uh, what does that mean? And what do you think? And uh, people would volunteer. I remember somebody said, well, maybe he'll hang there. What, what it means is if he hangs there long enough, the tiger will go away and then he can climb up on the vine and get out, get out of there. But then somebody else says, but the, the mouse is gnawing away. And uh, 
It's not about that the tiger will go away and he'll go back. What it's about is we are all that monk on the vine. We are all hanging midway between being born into this fragile world where really a safe could fall on your head or a plane could land in your living room or someone could cough on you who has a COVID virus in them. Something could happen and you don't know when. And in the meantime, there are strawberries all over the place that we're missing. And while it hasn't yet happened to us, how can we be calm enough to discern where are the strawberries? I used to say, if I ever write another book, I'm going to call it, look for the strawberries. Don't look at the vine. I mean, the vine is there. We're all on the vine. But all along the vine, we stay there. We stay in this life because it's got strawberries all over the place. Because someone will call you and say, you know what? So-and-so, they got better from their illness. You know what? So-and-so is not only finally having a child, but she's pregnant with twins. You know what? This great thing happened, that great thing happened. We have awe and wonder and we get excited about things. So I think that that, that was the year of the monk on the vine. And now as I put together things for coming together with you, I think this is the year of taking that one line, maybe it won't be a year, maybe I whatever, uh, taking the one line from the Dhammapada that just so stops me in my tracks. Whoever understands impermanence ceases to be contentious. I think that's the whole thing that the Buddha said, really. It, it so fits with my, uh, the, the, when I first learned metta practice, uh, which is, for those people who don't know, it's the invocation of blessings, of prayers, of good wishes for people. And we all kind of, it doesn't so much matter what you say. When we look at each other, we could say, may you be well, may you be peaceful, may you be happy, uh, may you laugh a lot, may you go to a lot of movies, whatever we, it, it would be a, a positive, genuine, kind wish for them. But the first words that I actually learned in English from uh, my teacher, what, 35 years ago, uh, from Sharon Salzberg is, may I be free of enmity and danger. And I didn't really, I really didn't get exactly what that meant. May I be free of enmity and danger. First, I thought it meant may I be free of enmity or danger that meant that nobody should come after me with enmity because then I'd be in danger. And it's taken me 35 years, 40, to be absolutely sure that what it means is may I be free of, in terms of may I not have in my mind enmity or uh, anything but kindness for anyone. Because if I did, I would be causing myself pain that the minds of human beings, the minds of people, when they're at ease, are minds that don't wish ill for anyone. I can recognize that that's, uh, that's, a, uh, <laughs> that's a lion over there behind that tree. 
And that's a yellow rock over there behind that tree. So maybe I should go by the yellow rock and not towards the lion. It's appropriate to have discriminating wisdom about this is safe to be near and this is good for me and that's not. But not to have enmity. The lion, by the way, doesn't have it in for me. I mean, the lion is not mad at me. It's just being a lion. And I'm not mad at the lion, but I just have to get away from it. So how to be a person without enmity. And that is what I am so much thinking about. I, I'm pretty sure that I ended up saying that last week, that I may I be a person who meets the world and other people with so full a recognition that life is difficult for everybody, that my mind is converted to kindness out of compassion, that there's nothing else to do. Once you get into this world, you can't get out of it, uh, except there's one way forward. And over, over time, we lose our vitality. <laughs> I'm laughing because uh, I'm in several groups of um, people over the, over the COVID time, people have started all kinds of Zoom groups. All of us who are not Oscar Zoomed, uh, you know, already started Zoom groups that are affinity groups, which are wonderful because it's the only way that people could be with other people. And one of my groups, which I love, is a group of uh, seven women over 80 in different places, seven Buddhist practitioner women over 80. So uh, one of the reflections for this afternoon's uh, homework when I meet with them together was um, when did you first realize that you were old? Uh, and it's a really an interesting thing to reflect on. I had something in mind when I started that sentence, but, um, but I was surprised at what I remembered as what I thought of as, oh, this must be old. And so different people, and when I, when I, oh, probably what I wanted to say is when I, when I began to be interested in Buddhism and began to go to retreats. Uh, they said things like enigmatic to me at the time. I didn't know really what they meant. Like, may I be free of enmity and danger? I said it 50 million times, but I really didn't think about what it meant. I just said it and it was very transformative, but in the sense of transformative, of settling down my mind and calming me down. I don't know if I actually put it together with, I would be free, that it would free my own mind of anxiety, which is really what I wanted to have most from my practice. And it would make me um, less able to hold a grudge or think ill of people, not because I was so wonderful, but because I really had understood that holding a grudge or um, reviling somebody in my mind would be painful to me. And I consider it actually, a, a, a um, if somebody said, what do you think you've gotten from all your years of practice? I think that's what I am getting now, the really clear understanding that I cannot afford the luxury of a negative thought. You know, sometimes you think of something and it's so juicy to think about. I really not doing that anymore because I catch myself, they don't do it. I said we were going to read a lot of poems and I haven't read hardly any yet.
So we're going to do some more reading of other people. And I'd really like to try a new thing today. And I'd really like you to try to do it with me. I want to read some stuff. And then instead of another long period of meditation, which we often do, I want to really encourage you to, when we say we're going to be in the groups, go in the groups. Really encourage you to go in the groups. You don't have to speak if you don't want to. But instead of using our contemplative time to have eyes closed and sitting and breathing, which we'll do also at the end of the time, I'd like us to have eyes open and reading something and listening to other people say something about it and putting your opinion. So really, really try to stay unmuted in the groups and with your picture. I'm reading you from my oldest, um, let's see if you can see it, from my oldest piece of Buddhist literature that I have it. It's, I can't, doesn't even have a date in the beginning, uh, but it's probably, it's probably just 60 years, it, 60 years ago, 60, 70, 60, 70 years ago, uh, Neanatolika Mahatara died and he was the teacher of uh, the um, um, he was a teacher of the teacher the, the person whose work I most uh, uh, value now that I said his name uh, Nyanapanika Mahatara uh, was the student of this person and Nyanapanika writes the most beautiful Dharma books but uh, this talks about um the hater does not grasp his power, nor does he wish to his his um, not, does not grasp his strength, nor does he wish to see the truth. For gloom and darkness reign supreme when hatred overcomes a person. It's not exactly rhyme. Redeemed from hate and from despair and rid of greed and envy free, the tamed ones have discarded hate and reached nirvana free from taint. I love this stuff. I hope you like it. This is about, uh, you know, keeping uh, a grudge going. If in your own domain, domain the foe has hurt you or offended you, why do you torture your own mind, which is not in your friend's domain? You're truly playing with this hate, which brings to ruin with all its roots the moral life you wish to lead. Can there exist a greater fool? This is really, <laughs> I hope you like this. I think that's great stuff. And that is, that's written 80 years ago, 90 years ago by a forest monk. No, this is, this is old Buddha talk. And it's a forest monk who's commenting on it. So it's not new to say, it's also not strictly Buddhist because Jesus taught a, 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 a kingdom of love. I mean, it's not, it's not uh, only a Buddhist thought. By love and love alone. Well, that's a line from the Buddha. By love and love alone is hatred ended. I want to go back a little bit. And 
<laughs> what to do first? Uh, when I started uh, those many years ago, my teacher said, the reason that you're here is Buddhism teaches you how to deal with old age, sickness, and death. And I remember thinking that was a poetic line, old age, sickness, and death, but it was something that happened a long time away from now because I was young-ish at the time, overlooking the fact that death happens to people at all kinds of ages uh, and uh, not everybody makes it to old age. And, but loss and challenge because of loss happens to everybody all the time. And that's what that means. How do we deal with never ending loss? We are none of us as brightly as we were when we were teenagers. You know what I love? I love to be walking down a flight of stairs where I am, say, walking at one side of a wide staircase and I'm having my hand on the handrail as I'm walking down the steps. And then suddenly some teenage, big, gangly, usually a man, will come down the steps three or four at a time right next to me, not holding any handrail, ding, 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 ding. It's like a gazelle coming down the steps. And here I am holding on, ding, 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 and I'm sad. And I think to myself, I'm really happy that I'm at least myself walking down the steps. And I stood up to be able to walk down the steps. You get less and less margin to rejoice about, but I rejoice about it. How to be able to say it's phenomenal that what since I've lived a long time that I've lived this long rather than, uh-oh, look what's coming. And to be able to live in the present, no matter what's going on, how much of my life I spent in the thrall of this or that or something. That's a good word, thrall. You don't hear it very much. I'm sure I told you about my friend, the Zen teacher, whose husband is a Zen teacher, who I said, do you ever fight with each other? You're both Zen teachers. She said, yeah, we bicker every once in a while, but then we bicker, bicker, bigger, bigger. And then one of us will say, I'm in a realm. And the other will say, yes, you're right. I'm in a realm. We're both in realms. Let's go get out of the realms and then I'll meet you and we'll continue. That to fall into a realm where a realm of anger, a realm of uh, revenge, a realm of upset, a realm of envy or jealousy, those are periodic realms and say, whoa, they don't not arise anymore, but you're rising and say, I'm in a realm. What can I do? And not always fix it up because sometimes a realm is here because you really have had a, a, a little attack of yearning or an attack of, I wish. How many people here, I, I can only see one page. How many people ever have an attack of, I wish it were like this or that? <laughs> I think it'd, it'd be pretty impossible to go through all day and not have an attack of, I wish. That didn't happen. Anyway, when in, because I want to make sure that we have time for you to stand up and sit down and meet with a group, I'm going to read you one more thing and then we're going to talk, then we're going to do the group thing, test, the group experiment. This is again from the book, When I, When You Greet Me, I Bow, which seriously, I think is the only Dharma book you need. Uh, I'm enjoying it so much. He's talking about when I 
when I first started, they said, these are the three, my teacher said, these are the three characteristics of experience. Light, everything is temporal. Anicca is the word changing. Everything is disappearing, changing as it's happening. Everything is dukkha. Everything has suffering in it. All conditioned life has suffering in it. I remember thinking that, and I think, well, it doesn't all have suffering. I mean, the Mozart horn concerto, because I like Mozart, I like horns, that's, that's not suffering listening to it. But anyway, it gets more complicated than that. Uh, newborn babies are so beautiful. You get what I'm saying? That, But then there's all problems. I didn't, it took me a long time to realize as I was, I was, I was listening with my forty-year-old ears to them saying everything is suffering. I was thinking, no, not everything is suffering. Some things are wonderful and beautiful and awesome. Some things are, but they end, or you need another one that's beautiful or wonderful, or it's not as beautiful and wonderful as what you thought it was going to be. I'm going to read you about that suffering. So three things about impermanence and suffering an emptiness of separate anatta, that there's no self. You know what, when my teachers first said that, this was the first one, but everything is changing. I kind of got that, I understood that. And everything is suffering, well, I kind of understood that. And they said that there is no self in here. It's just thoughts and feelings and physical processes all arising and passing away, but there's no one there. I thought, no, nah, they're wrong about that. There certainly is me in there. I, how many people have a feeling that they are inside of themselves? Do you ever have that feeling that they look out their eyes, they look out their whatever. We listen through my ears. I said, no, 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 they, they're wrong about that. They don't know that there's a really a me, but I'm not gonna tell them either. <laughs> Because that would be impertinent. So I just won't tell them because I like the rest of it. And I won't say anything. So uh turns out that that's probably the most important and most liberating of all of them. That uh, the sense that this is arising with thoughts associated with it, as long as the brain is functioning, with uh, feelings associated with it, as long as the body is functioning, and emotions but that no one in, in here owns it all and is responsible for it. It happens and everything that happens, all those processes, all those thoughts, all those feelings, they all happen because other ones happened before and other ones happened before and other ones happened before all the way back to the beginning of time and will continue to happen as long as this is viable. And our, so that everything is, if I, if I teach a lesson that people enjoy. I can't take on too much about it, like how great I am, because it's not, it's, there isn't a me that's doing it. It's my teachers and their teachers. And the fact that my body is still holding up and my parents were kind to me and every other thing in the world that already happened that, that enable my mouth to be moving at this moment and things coming out that I hope are interesting and consoling to people. It's not, it's not me who did it. It just happened. And if I have a, an off day for whatever reason, 
and I'm not so uh, edifying, I don't have to take on too much about it because my committee of my parents and my memories and all these things, my committee didn't show up. I try very hard to provide the right situation for my committee, but either way, I, I can't take on too much if it's if, it, if what I produce is helpful. And if it's not so helpful, I can't take on too much either because it's what happened. And that's not, that's not, that doesn't seem like the world's most earth-shaking thing, but it's earth-shaking if I have enemies and I start to think this person is doing this and I hate them or I wish bad on them. The person is doing what they're doing because they can't do otherwise. If they could, they would. No one person purposely suffering. People do things. Some people do things that I wish they would be restrained about because they're really doing harmful things. But, you know, I, rather than say this person is my enemy, I would rather say this is not what I, the kind of whatever that I think which should be holding sway over large amounts of people. So how can we get together and change it? Anyway, stay tuned for... Um, impermanence and suffering and um, emptiness. But I want to read you Norman. Norman writes, there are, these are tough times full of objective difficulties. He wrote this a long time ago and see how, and this is really an anthology of writings that weren't published. This could have been written today. These are tough times full of objective difficulties and anxieties, but times are always tough. And even when times in general aren't tough, your time might be tough at any given period in your life. Nobody escapes tough times. Nobody escapes suffering. I think that the first noble truth could be restated in a current vernacular as nobody escapes tough times. That's how it is. He said, by suffering, I mean pain, whether physical or mental. I suppose a small minority of us might say, I like suffering, I want more suffering. But most of us don't. When I'm in the presence of something I really don't want, then I'm suffering. Suffering use seems to me to be the opposite of happiness. If there's happiness, there's no suffering. If there's suffering, there's no happiness. Each of these is sure, I know this, but it's really, really good. Raise your hand if you think it's really, really good. <laughs> I think it's really, really good. Uh, okay. The most astonishing fact of human life is that most of us think it's possible and to minimize and even eliminate suffering. We actually think this, which is one reason it's so difficult for us when we're suffering. We think this shouldn't be this way, or I'm going to get rid of this somehow. I think many of us believe that since suffering is so bad and so unpleasant, if we were really good and really smart, it wouldn't arise in the first place. Somehow suffering is our fault. If it's not our fault, then it's definitely someone else's fault. But when suffering arises, we think we should truly be able to avoid it. We should be able to set it to one side and not dwell on it. We should just move on, as they say, go on to positive things, do a little Buddhism, meditate, get around the suffering, get around the suffering and go forward. We believe that if we only play our cards right, we could have a positive life without much suffering. We consistently come back to that way of thinking. It's incredible that we would think such a thing. 
The more we look around us, the more attention we pay to what we're feeling and what others around us are feeling, the more suffering we see. There is more suffering than we know. Anxiety is suffering, isn't it? There's a lot of anxiety. Not getting what you want is suffering. How many of us don't get what we want? Irritation is suffering. Anger is suffering. Having to put up with things you don't like is suffering. Knowing that you're going to have to die and you really don't want to, that's suffering. Sickness is suffering. Old age is suffering. Not having enough money is suffering. Losing your job is suffering. Having a bad marriage is suffering. Having no marriage can be suffering if you want to have a marriage. Fear is suffering. Knowledge you could lose what you think you have is suffering. Being ashamed is suffering. Feeling disrespected is suffering. Feeling unloved is suffering. Feeling loved but not loved enough is suffering. Feeling lonely is suffering. Feeling bewildered is suffering. Being too hollow or cold, being too hot, being stuck in traffic, getting in the wrong line and the guy in the front is very, very slow. And the other line that you could have gotten into is going much faster. And you could have been in the front of that line by now. But if you joined it now, you'd be at the end. All of this is suffering. It's going on all over the world. It's not a special condition. Is that, is that beautiful writing is really amazing. And it really points to the fact that I think in, in my own self, I liked it so much because I think we start to think, oh, this is difficult, so I'm suffering now, whatever it is. Um, but all those things, there's too much traffic, there's too much this, there's not enough that, there's no hot water, I really wanted that. It's just really hard to have the mind completely uh, at ease, to be able to say, it's just fine. I'm really content just now, just where I am. That's a major, major human statement that we sometimes make. I'm thinking about that. I wonder if we went in our, I wonder if this is going to work at all. If we went in our groups a little bit, first of all, because I've been talking for an hour almost, and not that I'm tired. One of my things is I can talk way too much and uh, bury what's important in it or what I think is important. I had, to, I had an idea of what we would do in our groups that I hope you will do with me and then come back afterwards. And when you go in the group, there are going to be two poems that I'd like for you to look at. So um, Toland is going to tell us how to do the poems or what's going to happen. One of the poems is going to be called um, The Cherry Tree. It was written uh, probably 150 years ago. Hausman, a long time ago. And it's called The Cherry Tree, and it's pretty self-explanatory. And she's now put it in the chat for everybody. And uh, the other poem is called Notes from the Other Side. And it's by Jane Kenyon. And um, Jane Kenyon, who's a person who wrote Otherwise, which I often read to class. I woke up this morning 
and stood up on two strong legs. It could have been otherwise. That, that I've read, I know a lot to you because the end, the end of it is a lovely poem. It ends and someday it will be otherwise. I, I have been thinking about that for years and years and, and reading from it from years to year, year to year. And then when you find yourself in a transition, I am in an otherwise transition now. We'll talk about that when we come back from our groups. Um, but both of those poems have different messages. And the first one I memorized, I still know it by memory. Um, and I memorized it, as I think I was, I think I was a teenager still. And really in, um, I remember thinking of, this is a response to the temporality of life. This is, certainly was a time that I was beginning to think about, uh-oh. Uh, and I want to talk about the message that I think it's giving. And then the second one, which is also Jane Kenyon. Notes from the other side is some speculation about what's different about the other side is wherever you go after you die. And uh, it's interesting. I've read it a bunch of times and each time I read it and it's not as clear to me, it's still working itself for me. I mean, I think I know what Jane Kenyon is meaning to say, but I'm not sure. So I think if we take 15 minutes, is that enough? That's yeah. 12 minutes. How about 12 minutes? That Maybe that's good. 12, 15, 12 minutes. You'll be in a group with five people. Please go because sometimes people don't go. And then the people are left with nobody there. Go and say, I'm not a sharer. I'm just here to listen. But there are five people in your group. So there will be some people who will share. And I'd like you to actually look at the poems and try to have a discussion about what you think they mean. And also try to figure out what one thing you want to say or ask collectively when we come back. Is that pretty clear what you're supposed to do? So it's a homework. And with your five people say, okay, you're going to be the asker. You're going to be the, so somebody is going to be the spokesman. And we have, <laughs> I think we just frightened away 10 people. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. We're going to go in groups. We're going to have a lot of groups left anyway. Go in the group and we'll come back and we'll see how that works. So it's 12 o'clock or whatever o'clock it is with you. We didn't sit quietly except a little bit in the beginning. But I'm very happy with us using our contemplative time to contemplate other people and what they're saying and nourish our spirits with that. If you think that, make one of those emojis that says I like it or it's good or um, so. I, I have now learned to make an emoji. Oh, okay. So people are clapping, people are putting hearts. There you go. <laughs> I don't think there's an emoji that does like this. But <laughs> it, 
if you have that emoji in mind, you can write to Toland and tell her that. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll see you in a few weeks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.